All right. Good morning to all of you. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen. All right. I, I didn't grow up doing that, so I kind of like it. Kind of feels a little weird at the same time, but it's great. Uh, today, we celebrate specifically Easter. Every Sunday to us is Easter, but today is one Sunday that we set aside in the calendar of the year, the rhythm of the year, to be expressly just about this one thing, that Christ is risen, that Christ is alive, that uh, he's in heaven right now and he has a plan for his return. Uh, but before I just preach the whole sermon in two sentences and run out of time, um, let's start here. Last week we started uh, with our passage that we are using this year to organize Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Uh, and it comes from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses, and they, it says this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And this is the, the, the heart of what we're talking about this year, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right, let me read that. that portion again, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That in a nutshell is what we are using to preach. It's the trampoline we're jumping off of to preach the resurrection of Christ, that there was joy in it, that it isn't a sad day. Good, thir Good Friday is a day to be sad. Monday, Thursday is a day to be sad, but that there was joy before Jesus that made him endure the cross. And more than just the cross, everything, from the very beginning until the cross and for eternity after that, it was joy that Jesus had before him that in the first place caused him to create, caused the Trinity to want to create and make all of this and put everything into motion, right? It was the joy in God's heart to start even creating, knowing everything that will ever happen, knowing that he would need to meet the cross, knowing that we would turn our backs on him. It was the joy set before him that made him even start to move, right? Genesis 1 gives us the picture of God in his trinity hovering over nothingness, the Hebrew tobu Tovu vavohu, formless and void. And then he moved and put everything into being. Right? It was the joy set before him that he called and formed and helped to guide his people from one man to one family to a people to a nation to the entire world. Right? It was the joy set before him to, to do this, to have this type of relationship with his people. It was the joy set before him that made him come on Christmas, that made him come and take on humanity on himself, to put us on, to put our skin, to put on our limitations, to put on our struggles and our temptations and to overcome it all. It was the joy that was set before him. The cross and the resurrection happened way before that moment. He made his decision up, even from his first breath, 
that he would come and do this for us. It was the joy that was set before him for him to come and live with us, to live with humanity, with his little baby dirt creatures who constantly turn our backs on him, who leave him, who want nothing to do with him, who at our best forget about him. It was a joy set before him to take on disciples, to live with men and with women so closely that they followed him, that they spent time with him, vulnerable, intimate time with him, that he raised and he taught and he did not forsake meeting with them. It was the joy set before him that he even cared, right? God could have been this God who just helped us, but didn't care. It didn't come close, but he did. He pursues us in all forms of intimacy because of the joy that was set before him that made him stay on that cross and let death take him. You just think about that for a moment, that God would let death touch him and take him, and that he would lay in that for three days because of the joy that he's had before him. It was the joy that was set before him that made him endure the cross that he shared with us, shared himself with us, which is the best thing he could have shared, but then shared his healing with us, his love with us, his authority with us, his power with us, right? He could have just set it up so that we had nothing. That would be the way we do it, all right? Honestly, that would be the way that we would save someone. Let me come and help you, but I won't give you the secret sauce. Jesus gives us everything. It was the joy set before him that made him come and be real and be really real with us. That his resurrect, in his resurrected body, he came and ate fish with us to show us that he actually did really come back to be with us and that his return really will happen in a real way. Uh, Easter is so amazing, guys. I know that we are typically a very quiet church, and that's okay, but today, let us not hold back our worship of him. Let us not shout out if it's in your heart that he is risen and that you love him for that, and that he is your Lord and your Savior, that is what today is about, that not even our last enemy, death, could hold him back. And so for this year, for Easter, we haven't been looking at the typical Easter passages. Instead, we've been looking at, we looked at this last week, and we're going to continue to look at it this week, that Jesus modeled his ministry, his public ministry, after one thing, right? Not only one thing, but one of the Large, the, one of the most reoccurring motifs and themes that Jesus kept on hitting at was that he was going to marry his bride. And so this year I'm standing here at Easter also saying that the joy set before him was that Jesus came to establish and bring his bride, the church, and that throughout his ministry, throughout his life, it was his pursuit to marry the church, to marry every single person who heard about what he did and calls him Lord and chooses to enter into this marriage that he's offered. That we can live with him forever in eternity with our husband. And I, I've been thinking about that a lot this week, obviously. I have to preach on Easter today. And I've been thinking about this, like how he arranged all of this and why he would arrange this. That he would choose something that is given to us by him, but that is like so human right, so close that he would come and shape his ministry, that God, the God who created everything, would come here 
and repeatedly and continue to tell us that he was going to marry us. Such a close and intimate relationship with little, little creatures. That he would come and choose the most intense and deepest and most vulnerable and potentially the most dangerous of human connections that there could be, marriage. Highlight the dangerous part. Uh, and so to start this, last week I talked about my wife, my bride, and to do that, I, I want to continue to do that again because uh, this is how I've known him to speak to me this way. It was through my wife, my bride. Uh, I met my wife, Anne, who's sitting right there, in August of 2005, and we've been together since, but it ha has mostly not been because I've been such a good boyfriend and then further on, fiancé and then uh, husband. It has been because she is patient and she is kind, and, but most importantly because she listens to the Lord and he's always told her that we should be together. Uh, in one of our first dates, uh, in this was probably like September of 2005, uh, we went on a walk. And a, a small walk turned out to be a almost four-hour walk. And on this walk, I had a huge brain fart, and I forgot her name. <laughs> okay, in my defense, okay, four hours. How are you really going to remember anyone's name in four, a four-hour walk? I was dead. I was beat. Um, but like that, that's just an example of the type of early boyfriend that I was to her. It was only God's grace that we've been together for this long. It has only been because she listens to God that we are still here today and have the life that we have. Um, and then, so we met in 2005, we got married in 2012, December 12th, 2012. It's easy to remember because it's 12, 12 um, We got married. And um, it has been the deepest way that God has spoken to me since then. And I just keep on coming back to the fact and thinking about what Jesus did, the life that he lived, that he would propose to his church and then that would be the driving way that he like, organized his ministry over and over again, doing all these things that people in their culture of their day would know, but we don't because we don't know the culture. But he was out to marry his wife, the, the church, his bride, all the time. And I love how God chose something so intimate and so beautiful and so vulnerable to teach us what he's really like. Uh, Confession time. Anna and I watched the show Love is Blind on Netflix. I don't recommend it, but it's like one of those shows that I actually do really enjoy secretly. Not so secret anymore. And in that show, I understand because people meet, and they never see each other, and then they have to get married in a month. So I understand the pressures, but I hear the way they talk about marriage, and it drives me insane because they're like, oh, I don't know if adding you to my life is going to get me to where I want. I don't know if sharing my money, well, not, most of them won't even share money, which is crazy to me, um, but they're like, I don't know if I want you in the business transaction of like the totality of my life, and that like drives me crazy because we have this God who knows how we're like. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows what we do as a race. He knows what we do to each other and to uh, him. He knows what we do to his name. He still came and he chose to marry himself to us. He chose us to be his bride. And that is an honor that we 
could never, never repay him. And the cross is the thing that made it all possible. The cross and the resurrection is what seals the deal. The cross and the resurrection is what makes every page, every word of this book, the hope of humanity and of all creation. And so to continue to tell the story, last week we preached about the rituals of getting engaged. And today I just want to share a little bit more of my story of my life to paint the picture. Last, last week we talked about a price and a room and a party and a knock, and we'll summarize that in a second. But first, in every wedding there's a party. The party is set. This was our wedding. Anne decorated all of this. She did a beautiful job. She made our party really lovely, and it was perfect, and it was beautiful. She set the party, and then she got ready. This is my young bride right here. She got herself ready to meet me at the altar. And then I got ready, apparently leaning on a barn. That's the only real picture that I had of me before the service. I love leaning on barns, I guess. And the groom prepares himself for his bride. And then they see each other for the first time at that altar. This is Anne seeing me for the first time, going, stepping into being her husband. And then this is me ridiculously looking at her, holding back the tears as I am doing right now because that's just what I do. And then we exchange vows, vows that should never be broken. And just really quick, I, I understand speaking on marriage that many of us uh, have been touched, have had it close to us of when marriages fall, when they break. And this isn't necessarily a lovely topic for you. It's one filled with pain. Uh, but the whole point of what we're preaching today is that Jesus is our faithful spouse who will never leave us or forsake us who did everything to make sure that we could be married to him for eternity. And then after the vows, it's not just about two people. It's also a story of two families getting together. Right? These are our families at the time joining. Our journey is crossing and I'm becoming intertwined with one another. A quick note, uh, Jairus' story in Mark 5 uh, it, there's this one little throwaway detail. It says that she was, or, uh, she was 12 years old. And that's because that was the age that girls started to become women to get ready for marriage. Right? That story, Jesus' healing of Jairus' daughter was about so much more than just one life. It was all of their hopes and dreams and everything lovely that this girl would experience going further and starting her own family. And it's also two, a story of two people going on an adventure together and having, uh, becoming one flesh. Echad basar is the Hebrew of somehow two people becoming one flesh, this compound unity. And it's just this beautiful story of how Jesus promised himself to us. And so to go forward, we are going to look at the story. Last week, we covered the way that he would propose. And then today, we're going to look at how he made it so from the cross and the resurrection. And so um, as we go there, can you please uh, pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this day. And uh, Holy Spirit, I invite you into this space. 
into all of our ears, into this building, in every chair, that you would um, speak to us about your son's death and resurrection. That you would make it mean more for us today than it ever has before. That you would move in our midst and that the outcome would be just passion for you and acceptance to be your bride. We love you. You are our faithful husband. You did everything to pursue us. So let us understand what that means in a deeper way today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start off today by talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Right, last week we talked about how a man would pursue a woman in Jesus' day and make her his bride, marry her, join her in this union, in this one fleshness. We talked about a price. Right? The first part of the whole process was that a man's father would go to the woman's father and they would negotiate a price because she had to be bought. Because it needed, the family needed to know that it would cost the husband something to have her. That he would lay down everything that he had, within reason, uh, and his whole life to have this woman join him and become one with him. There was a price to be paid. And in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul tells us that we have been bought with a price. That is the church's name. We are waiting for our husband to come back. Right, the woman's name legally became bought with a price for a time, and that is actually the name of the church right now. We are bought with a price and waiting for our husband to come back. There was a price, and the father was willing to pay the highest price that he could. He wouldn't cheapen us. He wouldn't settle for anything less. He gave us the most important thing he had, his son's life for his bride. And then we talked about the room. How after the price was set and everything was ready for the process to continue, the man would leave. He would leave for a couple years at a time because he went to his father's house to make a room for them to live in, for a space that would be just theirs, for a space on this earth that it would just be about these two people becoming one, sharing all the intimacy and all the pleasure and everything of being a, a husband and a wife of the kids, of the good times, of the arguments, of the fighting, of the jokes, of the everything that goes on. He would make a room for us. The husband would make a room for his bride for them to share on, share and live in. And then after everything was ready, a party would come. The husband would bring all of his family to where the wife or the, the bride was living, and he would go and get her whole family, the whole village, and bring them to their home, and for seven days they would party. For seven days they would celebrate the union that God has given us about a wife and a husband getting together and what that communicated to the whole world about God's love for us, right? Knowing God was preparing us to understand the mystery of this union by giving us the institution of marriage. And then they would party and they would have a good time. And when the party was supposed to end on day seven, they would get the groom, the bride, and they would bring her into her room, and she would see it for the first time alone. And she would look around, and she would see all of the possibility, all of the opportunity of the joy and the hardship and the real life that they had in front of them. Right? All the kids, all the laughing, all the playing, everything that was in front of them, 
she would see by herself in that room. And the groom would see that she was not there, go to the door and knock on it, and she wouldn't answer. He would knock on it and say something like, I'm here, if anyone hears my voice, open the door and I will be with you. She does this a second time and she does not do anything. And on the third time, he tells her, every, this is in front of everyone, the whole party goes there to see. He tells her everything that he gave up for her. He tells her how much he loves her and how much he will give, get, will give for her and that he will never leave her and never forsake her and uh, that if she would just let him in, he will go and be there, just like Jesus tells us in Revelations chapter 3. Right? Every, almost everything that Jesus did somehow boils down to how a man made a woman his wife in Jesus' culture. And the story continues from there. Right? Everything that Jesus brought us in his life comes to an end. Everything that a husband gives his wife in Jesus' day, in Jesus' culture, comes back in Revelations. And it's just like this beautiful story of like the, the circle being closed. Right? There's a whole industry out there, if you don't know, there's a whole industry out there of people finding plot holes in Marvel movies. There are people who make a career off of finding plot holes in Mar the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and there are no plot holes that remain open in Jesus' pursuit of his church. He brings a close to everything. And in the story of Revelations, we see some crazy images, some really crazy description of different types of angelic beings and different types of evils and Jesus overcoming them all. And when it's time for the story to start coming to an end, when it's time for God to finally destroy all of his enemies, the thing that really sets it off is in Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. All of human history is headed towards one party, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the time when the Lamb will finally take his bride and finally marry her and finally bring her the room that he promised. I want to read from us from Revelation 19, verses 6 and 7. It says this, it says, Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he said to me, these, true, these are the true words of God. At the very end of all of what we know is this celebration of the Lamb, of Jesus, of the one who is worthy to open the seals in Revelation. And the one thing that he is bringing all of creation towards is when he can finally have his bride and she will never be separated from him again. Right? In this scene, we see praise, we see rejoicing, we see exalting God and giving him all the glory. The lamb is there, Jesus is there to take his bride, to have his bride, to finish the ceremony, to give her this place that they will never be separated from again. And the bride in this scene has made herself ready. She has prepared herself by journeying after him, by holding on to him 
but not losing faith or losing hope, but going through all of the tribulations of life and in the end times, and she has made herself ready to receive her king, her lamb, her husband. And the last thing that we see in here is the angels saying, blessed are all those who are invited. Blessed is all of the ones who did not turn their backs on Jesus. Not that you were perfect, but that you held on to the promise that one day the groom would come. And so today, like the first thing that I wanted to say about this is that all are invited. And all of us are welcome at this feast if we choose this husband. Look at the stories in the Gospels. And if we read a husband pursuing his bride, all of us, not me individually, you individually, but the capital C church, the global church, the people who believe in him for all times and in all years until he comes back, that if we read his story and see a husband that promises us everything that's lovely and beautiful, and if that's something you want to step into, the invitation is there. Today is Easter, the day that we celebrated that Jesus died for us and was resurrected, and that if you hear his story and if you say, yes, you are Lord, this is true, I want to step into this union, then you are invited into this lamb, into this feast, excuse me, that you are welcome at this party to share all of eternity with the one you love most, Jesus the one who paid every price for every sin of yours to be forgiven. We and all of creation are headed towards this one feast, a wedding ceremony between Jesus and his church. The next part in the story that is told in Revelation is that we are given a home, New Jerusalem. The second part of the story, a couple of chapters later, is that the home that we were promised, the room that we were promised, comes. And it's just this crazy, wonderful story that this new Jerusalem will come here and be on earth, but it is linked to Jesus' promise that he is making room for us to be with him in his house. Uh, Let me read from Revelation chapter 21, five verses. First five verses. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven... And the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, of heaven from God. I pre- prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. In the end, after the wedding, after the wedding that we are all headed towards, and we are all hoping for, comes the home that we were promised, comes the home that a husband is bringing to his bride, comes a home that won't be filled with chaos or trouble, 
right? Really quick here, it says that there will be no more seas. It's not that God hates the seas. It's that in the ancient world, the sea was one of the clearest pictures of chaos in the ancient world. They would see the storms come and nobody could like uh, dominate the sea, that their ships would sink, that it was full of all these crazy animals that could eat them, like Jonah's story, right? And in the ancient Near East, the sea was the picture of evil. And in this new home, there will be no evil left there is what God is saying. Sorry for you guys who hate, who love the ocean. There might not be any at the end. And in this new home, we're given this picture of true intimacy, of no more pain, of no more mourning, of no more crying, of no more being disappointed, of no more having expectations not being met, of no more of sadness in the place that should be the most intimate of place that you could ever be in. That Jesus is out there right now preparing this new Jerusalem for us to be is because a husband brings a safe home to his wife. Is that that is the culture that Jesus lived in and that is what he is bringing the church. A safe place. A place that we will never be separated from him again. A place of true intimacy. A place that he himself reigns fully and will be directly with his people. And I just want to say to you that your groom, that your Savior loves you. And in his part of the equation of this intimacy, he will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never hurt you. He always takes care of his bride. And that's the story that Revelation tells, right? Every part of how a man proposed to a woman comes true and he brings it and there's like no more waiting. It all comes. But today is Easter. And I wanted to preach about the resurrection at least a little bit. The joy that was set before him that made him endure the cross, in part, was that he would have his church as his bride. And we had, he would never be separated from her again. And I wanted to read from Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Paul is setting up his letter to the Romans. And he says this, and it was declared to be the, and it was declared for him to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is the resurrection of Jesus that makes this whole story possible. It is the resurrection of Jesus that is the hope of all of creation. It is the resurrection of Jesus that makes his claims to being God, to being Savior, to being the one and only name that saves anyone that is ever saved true. It's the name that elevates his name above every other person claiming to be the Lord we've been waiting for. He is our faithful husband. He is the one who is making everything right. He is the one who has made every avenue for his church to be with him forever. And there is no other name on earth that will save anyone but the name of Jesus. There is no other God who so intimately promises himself to his people. And this invitation is open for everyone who hears the story of the resurrection. 
I, I wanted to read this quote really quick. I, I couldn't remember who it was by, so it's an unnamed source, not my own. Uh, but it says this. It says, the resurrection is the ground of our assurance. It is the basis of all our future hopes. And it is the source of power in our daily lives here and now. It gives us courage in the midst of persecution, comfort in the midst of trials, and hope in the midst of the world's darkness. It is because of the joy that was before Jesus that made him endure the cross so that all of humanity can be saved. Everyone who hears about this husband and says, I want to be in this marriage. And if so, if you're hearing me today and you believe in Jesus, I pray for you that you would fall deeper in love with the one who loved you first, the one who made you and gave you every promise and gave you his spirit so that all of life could be this grand adventure with him as we march towards the feast with the lamb when all of pain and all of suffering and all of evil will end. And if you're hearing me today and you haven't decided to join this marriage, if you're hearing it for the first time or if you're exploring it for the first time and you've been around for a while but you haven't made the decision, there's no better day than on Easter Sunday to hear the story of a husband who loved his bride, who gave his life, so that she could live with him for all of time. I want to read really quick from Romans chapter 8. We don't have a slide for this. This is new. Uh, it says this. What then shall we say for these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also be with him? Graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's the story that we step into on Easter Sunday, that we have this God who paid the price, that of everything that would keep us from him. And that we look to the future because of that resurrection to a time where we will never be separated from him again, where we will live for the rest of eternity in the home that he has prepared for us.